even though some of these issues are larger societal issues, you cannot address those from a place of emptiness, exhaustion, etc. And that's where things like meditation and exercise can all help reset a system. Welcome to She Speaks How She Does It, a podcast about inspiring women to speak up and be heard. I'm your host, Elisa Freud, the founder and CEO of She Speaks. Each week, we give an amazing woman the platform to share their knowledge and advice on a topic impacting women while sharing insights from our community of quarter of a million women. Listen in each week to be inspired to speak up and be heard. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all having a great week so far. So today's topic is one that I think will resonate with a lot of women. On today's episode, we talk about what burnout is, how what does it look like, and then how you can deal with it. Uh, our guest is Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. She is a behavioral uh, a behavior change scientist, a researcher, and a speaker. She has been studying burnout and studying the fallout uh, from burnout for a while. She herself has dealt with it. Um, I also want to mention that, you know, we talk about the topic, we do talk about suicide and suicide ideation. So if that is triggering for you, please be aware that we do cover that topic. But what we talk about is what burnout looks like, how it manifests, not just in terms of our mental um, well-being, but also our physical well-being and what we can do about it. It's a jam-packed episode with lots of, I think, really useful information. Um, I hope you enjoy the conversation. So we're going to jump right into it. Here we go. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. So as I was just mentioning to you, this topic of burnout, which is your area of expertise. It's what you write about. It's what you have um, are helping people. Um, I've, I, I know that this is a topic that you have thought about for a long time, while the rest of us are kind of waking up to this a little bit. Certainly the pandemic has from what we have seen with women um, in our community, the She Speaks community who have talked to us, uh, burnout has just been dialed up to a uh, hundred for them because of everything that's been added to their plates and what's been, and, and, and the fear of, of the last few years. So before we get into more of the details, can you first talk a little bit about your own personal experience with burnout and how that has impacted your life? Sure. So I didn't actually know I was burned out at the time. And this, so it's great that you're doing research to actually ask women how they're feeling about this and, and giving it this word, burnout, because it didn't mean a lot to me either. And I'm really excited today to explain a little more what it actually means. But four years ago, I left my job as a public health professor at the university because I couldn't do it all anymore. I was a mom with two kids, one with special needs. I was at the absolute top of my profession in the top one percent of most cited scientists worldwide free and really important research dollars looking at women's health as one of my study areas and I just sort of fell apart I, I really thought I was having a midnight life crisis 
or just a, a breakdown. Totally blamed myself. And it wasn't until I actually started to want to write about my experience and unpack it. Then I came across the research that explained what burnout is. And there's so many different types of burnout. And I can definitely sort of explain why why COVID feels like burnout, because burnout is chronic stress. And mm. that's obviously what we've been through. Mm. But some of the symptoms for me and my experience um, was really just overwhelm to the point of wanting to escape it all. And I remember speaking with a colleague in academia who had left academia. And I said, what are the signs? How did you know it was time to go? And she said, well, because I was crying on the way to work every day. And so when I hit the point where I was crying on the way to work and crying on the way home because mm. I was also dreading being at home with my family, not being the mom I wanted to be, overwhelmed by everything I had to do. And so I did. I, I really experienced um, a period of suicide ideation. And mm. I actually one night wrote a letter to my kids saying, I'm sorry that I can't do this, that I'm not a better mom and that I can't ask for help. Please ask for help. Mm. And it sort of in that moment struck me, oh, that's the key, right? I have to ask for help. So the next day I said to my husband, look, you know, I'm at a really bad point here. I'm, you know, I'm having these suicidal thoughts and, and I'm really worried. And so he then said, okay, come on, we, we've got to go do something about this. And so I did take a leave of absence from my job and try to reset my, my flight fright. I was like in total, like everything was danger, danger, danger. So I reset mm -hmm. that, went back into the office for the first time with this not feeling stressed and, and not knowing what it was like to not be stressed because I had just sort of the, the frog in the water, it had just boiled and boiled. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me, the stress hit me for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like a truck hitting my chest. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know, I, I just couldn't keep going and, and didn't want to in that situation. I, I had asked for help at work, too, and hadn't been supported. So I just realized, OK, the type of person I am in this type of environment mm -hmm. does not work for me anymore. And mm -hmm. I was so sad to leave and lose my passion for my research. So I'm so excited that I have found this new passion, which is working mom burnout. And I really don't want other mums to go through what I went through. That is my absolute cause at the moment because it was really difficult and I'm really close for our family. Yeah. Well, okay. So the, there is a lot in there that I want to delve a little bit further into and for, and thank you for being so honest with your experience, because I'm going to, I'm going to guess that anyone that for the people who are listening to this, people can relate to um, parts of what you're talking about, if not the entire situation. Um, how does somebody know what is going on? How do you know if you're burnt out? And, and can you also talk about, is there a connection between chronic stress and depression? Right. So, let me first describe some of the definitions in, in the research of burnout. So let's think about workplace burnout, which is one type of burnout. And the definitions in the research for that are um, overwhelm and overwork, cynicism and depersonalization. And that's sort of what I experienced. I looked at my research and said, this is such a waste of time. It's having no impact on the world. This is ridiculous, right? And for healthcare workers, depersonalization means you don't care about the patient anymore. You see them as a, a number. 
And then the last one is lack of productivity. Now you can still be as productive, but lack of efficiency, it takes you so much longer to get there. So I was still like at the top of my field, but the hours I was putting in to get there. So that's kind of the definition of over um, of working burnout, working burnout. But there is also, for example, um, caregiver and emotional burnout. And I think we can think of the emotional burnout as part of what we've been through as well with COVID, just that long-term stress and the emotional trauma, particularly for communities of color. And then there's parental burnout. Now, parental burnout has some of the same symptoms in terms of the overwhelm and the the sort of lack of personalization. You don't see your children as, as sort of children anymore in some ways. But it's really when you are drained by your role as a parent and you don't enjoy your role as a parent anymore. So these things can, can combine. So some people find that they're experiencing parental burnout and their time at work is a great break from being a parent. But if you're facing it in both places, then that can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Some of the other symptoms that people describe mm-hmm. are brain fog, that mm-hmm. your brain just is not working anymore at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, other people describe it as tired but wired. You mm. cannot sleep. You cannot switch off that brain. And you can imagine me as such a, you know, with my research brain, it was just like constant, could not turn mm. that thing off. Um, early signs to look for are mm. things like resentment, mm. rumination, all the negative self-talk. So these are early signs that you can really start to see. And the best definition that I that really, really helped me understand this was, you know, I think of myself as thoughtful, um, caring, ambitious, driven, a hard worker. You basically become an overthinker, an mm. overgiver, overdriven. Mm. overwhelmed right so when does it tip into that over and of course when you're in burnout you've lost all perspective so Mm. you don't actually understand or see and so many many people can not listen to their brain saying stop you've got to stop you've got to stop so in the end their body intervenes so some Mm. people experience burnout because they can't get out of bed anymore Mm -hmm. other people experience burnout because they're actually sick with some illness other people it's hair loss Mm. um, panic attacks for Mm -hmm. example Um, and so actually once I had gone into that stage of feeling this this suicide ideation and actually admitting what I was feeling I then started to get panic attacks which I had not experienced before Mm. so it was kind of this all the physical unraveling and what was interesting to me was I did listen to my body but I didn't listen to my my head my body got my attention and that's what it's trying to do so really you're trying to intervene way way before that and if we think about the um there's a couple of things that that relate back to be- depression. So there's this 12-stage model of burnout from Freud and Berger and North. And in that, they say that one part is, is depression can, can be part of that 12-stage cycle. And, for example, if you are a perfectionist and um, you have certain personality traits and you find that you're struggling at work and you're struggling at home, it could be that you are depressed because depression can then um, cover both areas. But I think if you realize that there is parental burnout and workplace burnout, to me that explains that it's not necessarily depression because depression does like cover your entire life, whereas Mm -hmm. workplace burnout very much 
is in the workplace and related to the conditions at work, which is so different from depression where you can feel um, hopeless and have no energy. I mean, you can have this crazy energy in burnout. Like I say, that tired but wired feeling, that's not something that you generally feel during depression. So again, mm -hmm. you know, I am I am a public health behavior change scientist. I, I'm not a mental health um, expert. I am not a suicide prevention expert. So I want to really mm -hmm. keep those caveats clear. Yeah. But th there are definitely differences between burnout and depression, but they can also present with similar features and be part of um, e each other. The difference is that depression, you will get a clinical diagnosis, whereas mm -hmm. burnout is, workplace burnout, for example, <clears throat> is recognized by the World Health Organization, but it's recognized as an occupational phenomenon, which means it is a syndrome that leads to other illnesses. It's not an illness itself or a condition itself, whereas depression is a diagnosable condition itself. So I want to ask you a question about this because it occurred to me as you're talking that perhaps part of the problem that we've had with the pandemic that has led people to believe and, and feel, I mean, legitimately feel an enormous uh, covering of burnout is that when you talk about workplace burnout and parental burnout, pandemic at times, so many people their work and their parental life are so are merged because it's not like we are physically getting out of our homes, let's say. And, and yes, some, a lot of people are, but for those with people who are not physically going out of their homes to go work right now, because they're working from home, the stress, the, the, the workplace burnout can feel so much more merged with the parental burnout because you're in you're living, working, functioning all in one place. That's such a good point to make. And I think how you describe that is, is really clear that it is. And, and, and also our role as parents changed. So, yeah, do we not like how we teach our kids when they're homeschooling, right? That wasn't what we ever were going to be. And, oh, how often I... How often my kids don't want mum to be the teacher, for goodness sake. So, of course, we're feeling terrible in this role. So, yes, and I could see how they totally are merging, and, and it's so difficult to escape that. But I think I want to say a couple of things about COVID. So, so burnout is chronic stress, right? Mm. What have we been through? COVID was chronic stress. Um, mm. Burnout is also burnout from, from change. You can have change burnout. When you just have too much change and you can't manage that change and you keep having these transitions, oh my goodness, that's what it's like. We get one step forward and three step backwards. You know, all the guidelines are changing. The kids are home. The kids are at school. The kids are home. The kids, you know, that sort of change and our ability to manage change, change burnout is, is also a phenomenon. But I also just think like the contagion of anxiety was so high like I remember experiencing during COVID my, my husband had to go um, on a work trip and I was worried that he was leaving town 
never before in my life, he travels all the time for work, had I ever been worried about that. And, you know, the, the irony was that night, I almost ended up in the ER with my daughter. Mm. When I had my son at home, I was like, who's going to look after my son? I got to take my daughter to the ER. I don't want to take her to the ER because of COVID. But she was having this reaction on her face and this swelling that was getting close to her nose, her mouth and her throat. So literally, I had been like 11 o'clock at night with a video um, pediatrician drawing a line on her face. And she said, if the swelling goes beyond that line, you got to get to the ER. Mm. And, And it was, you know, so my my anxiety was real because mm-hmm. the threat was was different. Mm-hmm. But also, it was here. It was starting from a higher level than yeah. it had ever been before. So little things like my husband going <sighs> on a trip tipped away. And it's contagious, this anxiety that we're all experiencing. It's real. Mm. We, 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 we experience it from each other. So, I, I mean, I do. I feel like this moment in time, the stress that we have been through, um, a lot of people shared with me the old things that they used to do. So I'm glad that your changing place is still working for you. But a lot of women shared with me, I used to go for a walk and it helped. I used to speak to a friend and it helped. And those tools for self-care aren't aren't working anymore because we're talking about a different level of long-term stress and things that aren't in our control, like lack of autonomy is such a huge part of of burnout. So, um, yeah, it it really, um, you know, it's so important. And then I think just touching on the remote work, there's a whole area coming out there that who is not going back to the office? If it's mums and it's women of colour who are not going back to the office because they don't want to re-experience these office incivilities and microaggressions, then we're going to have this proximity bias. And again, that bias also leads to burnout. The more you are disadvantaged in this system that is work, the less you are rewarded, the less you are paid, the more you have these value conflicts with your work. Those are the conditions for workplace burnout. And those are the conditions that women in particular experience. I really feel it's important when we think about, you know, the CEOs, because last week, for example, research came out saying the C-suite are burning out too. Now, the C-suite burning out is important, right? Yes, and they're probably feeling a lot of this whole COVID stress that that we've been talking about. But when a white man burns out, it's not due to lack of autonomy, lack of reward, value conflicts, injustice in the workplace. It's probably due to overwork, which is one of those conditions. To solve overwork, fine. Take a vacation, practice time management, um, delegate, change things up, right? But when the conditions for burnout are lack of pay, lack of recognition, a vacation doesn't solve that. And right. that's what really concerns me. It's the leaders who are making these decisions and giving us the message to do self-care because it worked for them. It, it, it's not the same burnout that we're going through as women and particularly as mothers. Yeah. So um, that's where we have to uh, really start to unpack this because the solutions are very different depending on how you experience burnout. So when I think about, you mentioned this point about anxiety, and I want to uh, circle back to it for a second. You said anxiety is contagious. And I think there is something interesting in there when you think about people who are 
extroverts versus introverts, right? An extrovert, just not about how outgoing or shy, whatever. That's not what I mean. I just mean where you get your energy from, right? So if you're somebody who get who's an extrovert, meaning you get your energy from other people, you're going to feel that anxiety and, 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 and that, and you're going to feed off of that. Can you share a, is there, is there validity to that? Like, are you going to feel more of this if you're an extrovert versus an introvert and what can you do? Is it just the recognition? Is that, is that key? I'm always going to do this caveat that I'm not an anxiety researcher either. But um, so, of course, we are influenced by the the people around us. This is like the, the models that I use. One of them is called the social ecological model. And it's basically that we bring our personality traits, we, we bring our interpersonal relationships, then our institutions and our society. So those interpersonal relationships influences absolutely that's why we need family level interventions and things and and relationship interventions for for any issue that we're doing because they influence us both positively and potentially negatively so i think in um kind of the description that you're making of of um introvert and extrovert i think it also can depend on your level of empathy and mm-hmm. i think there's definitely groups of people who are highly sensitive highly empathetic mm-hmm. and so they do feel other people's pain mm-hmm. um more and i think to just even for example in the workplace during covid women were the ones who were looking after the well-being of our organizations um of our people so so people's problems they were bringing them to the female leaders not to the male leaders and women were really problem solving around these things there was data from um mckinsey showing that so again we are also playing a role in helping others with their mental health in a different way so i think the empathy um issue is is definitely there and that's why we can be experiencing it so Mm. i I think what you said about awareness being absolutely key every step for everything starts with awareness but this Mm -hmm. is where most of the time we stop there we stop with awareness and don't learn the skills that actually help us move along don't practice those skills that help Mm -hmm. us move along and that's the Mm -hmm. same thing that happens in the workplace for example with unconscious bias training, we raise people's awareness of the biases that they have. And they think, I've done the work. I am now aware. That's all I needed to be. Whereas actually, you need to learn skills and you need to Mm -hmm. practice those skills and get feedback on those skills and keep practicing and develop long-term habits. And those are the things that are really challenging. And again, as a behavior scientist, that's what I'm all about as well, because creating long-term habits needs a lot of support, right? How many many of our New Year's resolutions fail? It's not because we've, I mean, some pick bad ones, but it's because we don't understand how many scaffolding things we need to help us succeed. Well, and it seems like... uh for many of us, it is much easier to develop a bad habit than it is to develop (laughs) a good habit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even when we have it change, sometimes it's better for us to adopt something than give up something as well. There's different mindsets around Mm -hmm. that. So for example, it might be better for me rather than say give up fat to 
to take up fiber, right? Yeah. Because it feels like I'm doing something positive rather than depriving myself of something. But yeah, bad habits. Oh my goodness, all the things that we're addicted to. Because we mm -hmm. could be, um, you know, addicted to that state if somehow we're getting fulfillment from this state of anxiety um, and, and all the things that, that are addictive are very hard to to stop and the same with work i mean my god we're addicted to work right and to stop working evenings and to stop working weekends that was such a hard habit for me to break yeah um i want to talk to you about the dangers and challenges that come from not addressing the factors that encourage burnout what i think we've talked about how um, we can have these negative, there are negative implications. So how do you, you said you have, you need to not only be aware of what's going on, which, which by the way, for many people is, is, is not that easy of a step. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about self-awareness on this show and, uh, and we, we get lots of advice from women about how they themselves practice self-awareness. Like, how do you, because I do believe, I personally believe it's a practice. I think you have mm -hmm. to check in with yourself and everyone has different ways to do that. But given that you're aware, like you said, right, I'm aware. I, I now have the awareness level that there's this problem. What can you do to address it? So the thing that we're told to do to address it is self-care. Mm -hmm. And so I really think of that as organizations. And sometimes it's very innocently, um, you know, oh, it's a long weekend coming up. Make sure you take care of yourself so you don't burn out. But in that process, I always say it, it's like the, the organization pointing at us to, to solve our self-care and not recognizing the three fingers pointing back to them, which is, the organizational change. Mm. So um, I think there's several things in terms of first step is definitely to control the things you can control. Yeah. Because um, the, even though some of these issues are larger societal issues, you cannot address those from a place of emptiness, exhaustion, etc. So you really have to manage the exhaustion and also manage potentially that fight flight state mm. you're in. So mm -hmm. resetting your system. And that's where things like meditation and exercise can all help reset a system. So there is definitely forms of self-care that help us with our stress management and can help us reset. And again, burnout coaches definitely say it's really important that you don't make decisions about your job when you're in this state of exhaustion um so it, it's so important to to get that sense of recovery yeah and i really think that comes partly from coaching because coaches can help you have perspective because you've mm -hmm. lost perspective you don't even know what overthinking overgiving is anymore right and they give you permission to take a break so yeah. one of the things that i thought was so important was taking a break from parenting. So for example, I learned that if I could actually get a whole week where I can just focus on my mission of working mom burnout and not have any parenting or household tasks, I can actually 
think much more clearly. The brain fog goes away and I can have a lot of achievement and gain a lot of confidence when I just have one thing to focus on. So, so having periods where you really are taking a break from all the different roles, because all these roles we play in life, um, uh, role strain also leads to burnout. So I think particularly in that sort of immediate state of burnout is give up any unpaid work you were doing right mm. like stop doing anything for which you're not like rewarded mm. and paid it's such a basic sort of premise and you can always say well I'll come back to those things that I love and my volunteering at another point in time but right now I, I have to just be doing the minimum uh, of everything so that's really kind of the first step um, and so those are the things that we can do as individuals to empower ourselves, and, and learning boundaries and emotional intelligence and emotional awareness. Those are all the things. That's what we should be working on during that time because we're going to need that emotional intelligence going forward. But then we do also have to start having those conversations once we've learned those skills with our family, which is, you know, okay, how are we going to share this workload? Eve mm -hmm. Rodsky, for example, said there are a hundred tasks we do as parents and um, to manage the household. And we've got to share those with the kids and, and with a partner, if possible, with family members. Yeah. Um, and then really recognizing that if we think about the process, if we say that burnout is an individual problem and it's self-care and it's your problem, then we're not recognizing that it is a systemic problem and a structural problem. We, we need to solve this problem because it's such a cycle that's, that's only taking us in, in the wrong direction. Well, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, thank you for spending time with us today. I so appreciate your insights, the advice. I think people will get some very tangible ideas for, you know, understanding, recognizing what burnout is, what they can do about it. Um, and, uh, just chock full of, of good, of good information. If people want to follow you, what is the best way for them to do that? Thanks so much. So yes, I post regularly on LinkedIn under Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. My website is also drjacquelinekerr.com. And I'd love people to watch my TEDx talk, which is how to stop burnout before it starts. And so they can reach me um, through my website. And I really want to help um, companies think about strategic ways to solve this issue because um, there definitely are solutions out there. We have really clear guidance, for example, from the National Academy of Medicine. So we can do this. It's a question of um, investing and prioritizing it. Thank you for listening to She Speaks How She Does It. We hope that this episode inspired you in your own experience and path towards success. Be sure to like and subscribe to follow our series of conversations. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. So join the conversation at She Speaks Up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also join She Speaks at shespeaks.com. Thanks for listening. We look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for listening. If you're an influencer or a brand that wants to work with us, please feel free to email us at info at shespeaks.com. Until next time.